Are you interested in leadership? Welcome to the Menzies Leadership Forum podcast. Tune in for insights and observations about leadership, the challenges and blind spots, attributes and values that you need to lead now and in the future. I'm Liz Gillies, Menzies Foundation CEO and your host today. Let's get started. I'm so delighted uh, to welcome Cindy Mitchell to this podcast. The Menzies Foundation focuses on raising the profile and importance of outstanding leadership. And we do that by identifying leadership challenges and building multi-sector collaborations to address those challenges. And through working systemically around those challenges, we get great insight into leadership and we leverage that insight into projects supporting leadership discourse. And one of our think one of our most important initiatives, one of our most important leadership challenges that we're currently considering is supporting Indigenous women in the Kimberley on an economic empowerment journey. And this work orientation comes from a very clear evidence that if you support women in communities, not only do they support themselves, they support their families and ultimately their communities. Uh, And we're really interested in understanding how we can support Indigenous women to pursue entrepreneurship, enterprise as a way, as an alternative way uh, to support them, as I said, and their families. And a very important part of that collaboration is the work we're doing with Cindy Mitchell. So Cindy's comes bringing a research lens, she's doing a PhD, and I think probably rather than introducing Cindy, the best thing to do is for me to hand over to Cindy to tell us a little bit about, Cindy, who you are, what you're doing, um, and what your journey uh, has been to date. Excellent. Thank you very much, Liz, for the invitation. And I'm very grateful to the foundation for its support in this really important work and this collaboration that we get to do over the next couple of years. In terms of my sort of academic background and sort of what brings me to this particular work, um, I started a couple of years ago doing an honors uh, at the University of Canberra. And my background, as you can tell by my accent, I'm originally from the United States and I've done work over the last 15 years in social enterprise and social entrepreneurship and sort of alternative economies, but I come from um, a a very strong sort of small business family, um, which is very unusual uh, in in the African-American tradition. So my great great grandfather uh, started a business that still actually operates today. And so I was really interested in African-American entrepreneurship and in that sort of historical context. And that's what I did my honors uh, on. And I was very fortunate that my supervisor for my honors is or was Professor Dennis Foley. And Dennis Foley is a pioneer in in indigenous entrepreneurship. So he's probably one of the early, one of the first uh, PhDs. He's a full professor Indigenous entrepreneurship at the University of Canberra. And he and I really got to talking around the ideas and and the things that I was exploring about how African-American people have used business and entrepreneurship as a means, as a pathway for for resistance and for economic and political empowerment. And of course, he had had the very similar experience in studying Indigenous entrepreneurship over many, many years. And as I got to know Dennis, Liz, the the very interesting thing about his research, Dennis is a a guy, Marigal Elder, his country is is Sydney. And his research, um, because of sort of Indigenous tradition and lore, he focused mainly on on Aboriginal men in his research. And he was always a sort of a point of contention 
attention and we would sort of joke around like, you know, if somebody really should do this, there are other people who studied indigenous women's entrepreneurship, but again, not at the level that um, Professor Foley has. And it really just became, someone should do this, maybe I should have a go. And so I started thinking about, well, what, what sort of contribution could I make in this area, particularly being non-indigenous? And he just really encouraged me. He said, you know, sis, you're one of us. You have something to say in this space. You have a perspective that's unique. Let's figure out how to find you a project. And then this opportunity came along with the with the Menzies Foundation. So it's all it's that's how I've how I've landed in this in this particular position. So um, Cindy, the collaboration is a really exciting group of partners, including the Menzies Foundation as the sort of anchor and we're building the container for the work. We're working with Kimberly Jigers, uh, which is uh, run by an extraordinary Indigenous woman, Natasha Short, and based as a network of Indigenous women in the Kimberley. We're working with Good Return, who bring a wealth of experience in working with women in a whole range of contexts. Predominantly, their works in the um, developing world, but they're deeply steeped in financial literacy and supporting women's pathways to economic empowerment. And then, Cindy, you, as an essential piece of the puzzle in terms of bringing that sort of deep research knowledge and insight and deep consideration of some of the principles and practices that underpin Indigenous female entrepreneurship. Can you tell us a little more specifically about what your PhD is focusing on before we then look at how it's complementing the collaboration? Absolutely. Before I do that, Liz, do you own a puffy jacket? No. No? But you do live in Melbourne where it's pretty cold. And so a lot of people wear those things. You know what I'm talking about? The ones with the down in in them? Indeed, I do. They're also part of the sort of traditional dress of Canberra. So if you go out today, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of chilly. You'll see lots of people in these jackets. Now, I don't typically wear them because I think they make me look like the Goodyear tire man. But you and I could agree that for our relative climates uh, in Melbourne and Canberra, a good down jacket is probably a good idea. So, and this, Liz, is how a lot of development initiatives in Indigenous communities start. People from the outside who come to some agreement about, huh, here's a way that we might be able to help people. They go into communities and they impose ideas. So let's you and me get together, let's go to Kununurra and let's take a caseload or maybe a container load of these puffer jackets. And then they might have some level of con- of consultation, which might involve, well, you get to pick between a red jacket uh, and a blue jacket. And then what happens over time is people, they go, well, all right, puffy jackets are on offer. They don't really suit our climate here, but I'll take one. And then what happens is social scientists like me and anthropologists come along and they find that these jackets are being used in really strange ways. The feather down is over here being used for this purpose and the zippers have been taken apart and the, the waterproof cover lining has been used for something different. And then rather than saying, wow, look at this as a form of cultural adaptation, they say, what's wrong with these people? What's wrong with them? They're, they're perfectly good puffy jackets. And what is really exciting about this collaboration is we're looking at economic development. We're looking at at uh, Indigenous women's empowerment, but we're not bringing our own puffy jackets. We have them in our suitcases. We know we have these sort of conceptualizations. We have our ways of doing things. But the first thing that we're doing is actually sitting down with the women in this case, the Kimberly Diegas, and saying, well, what actually do you want? Because it might not be puffy jackets. Now it could be, but 
and what we're doing is we're actually trying to design what is the right intervention together, but with a very strong recognition that we all have our own ideas and we all have our own conceptualizations of what's the best way to intervene in this space at this particular time. So my research question, Liz, is really about how do the Maganda makers, so the Maganda makers is the name for this this incubator, the, the, the project that will be at the center of this collaboration. How do they conceptualize and operationalize Kimberly Women's Leadership Leaders' economic empowerment through entrepreneurship? So what does it mean for them? What entrepreneurial processes do they employ? How do they decolonize and translate these, proce these processes to ensure their suitability for their context? Basically, what do they do with all these container loads of puffy jackets? So that Menzies and Good Return are bringing in. Now, perfectly good jackets, but we're going to, we are about to impart, embark, embark on this process of seeing them tailored and seeing them used in different ways and being really respectful of the process um, that's happening. And that's what really, Liz, excites me about the partnership with Menzies is that you have, uh, the foundation is creating a space for us to do this because it is just not done this way. We do economic development, we do education, we do health, a whole range of community initiatives in a way, typically where we just impose ideas for two or three years and then we go off again. And this is really about a, a, a long-term understanding what's going to work. And also at the same time, building the capacity of these women leaders. These are not people who are just laying down wondering what to do. They're already intervening in their communities and really helping to support them to be able to continue to iterate this long after we're gone. So Cindy, that's a lovely illustration of what we're building and the sort of ground up approach that's so fundamental to it. From the foundation's point of view, I so value the voice that you bring to the development of that platform because of the fact that it's ref it, it references deeper knowledge or sh others people's knowledge that show that can guide us or provide light around how to start to think about a grounded, ground up, true collaboration where the lived experience of the women is fundamental to it. Just in terms of even the, the thinking that you've started to do around the perspectives you're bringing to your PhD, the sort of foundational basis that you're starting from. Can you just talk a little bit about where your thinking is in that regard? Absolutely. How yeah, it look, the development of the initiative? Yeah. And look, I can see this because I'm a black woman in academia. So talk about different conceptions and, you know, puffy jackets going into someone, <laughs> going into someone who lives in the desert kind of thing. So what I'm doing separate from the collaboration is as a researcher is I'm entering a field. I'm entering a discipline where there are thoughts about how you do women's economic development, how you do empowerment, how indigenous people do entrepreneurship. And I'm bringing a different perspective than that, which is commonly and most, you know, most commonly used, which is basically a, a very white Western frame. So I'm coming at this being very upfront. So it, Dennis uh, Foley and other Indigenous academics, they talk about this thing called standpoint theory. So it's very much putting my my baggage and my perspective as an African, African and Native American woman in the center of this, um, because by putting my baggage uh, in the center of this, then it allows me to reconcile and allows me to then have a relational understanding with the Kimberly Aboriginal women. And this is this approach to doing research is, Liz, it's a little, it's different, but it's something that has been pioneered 
shared by, you know, indigenous and 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 racialized uh, academics all over the world. And so I'm really excited to be to be using it in this context. And it's really, I think, you know, because I'm we we had this joke on my on my academic supervisory team is that Cindy, that she's her job is to interrogate everything. You take nothing for granted. Every research method, every discipline, every theory, you have to go under the assumption that it is not made from the indigenous worldview, from that perspective. And so you're constantly interrogating it and tearing it apart and putting it back together again. And I think I bring that lens to the overall collaboration, which um, I'm happy to hear that that's useful and I haven't gotten on everybody's nerves yet. Not at all, Cindy. And I think the other thing that's particularly interesting in terms of my understanding of the sort of thinking you're doing is so much about Indigenous business development and entrepreneurship doesn't particularly have a gender lens. So to the point you made before about, you know, it's about often it's in Dennis Foley's work, it's about men being entrepreneurial, men building businesses. Is some of your early thinking being informed by this this sort of more gender-based lens? Is there different things that you're already seeing in terms of this particular focus on women? Yeah, absolutely. And really, it you know, it comes down to, and this is what the Maganda makers are starting to talk about. This is what's emerging from our, our consultation that we've been doing over the last year, year or so. It's around wealth creation and what does wealth creation mean for a woman? It's going to be something that's different and we're still trying to grapple with what that looks like and how entrepreneurship and the entrepreneurial process that we code that the foundation and, and good return co-design with Kimberly Jigas, how it's going to how it's going to take that through. So definitely the a lot of the work and, and again I don't want to sound like I'm the only person doing this work. So there are amazing black feminists, uh, indigenous feminists who have you know jumped up and down and they've critiqued work, you know, and they're they're looking at approaches and saying there are other contexts here. Women's reality is different and particularly, you know, around patriarchy and also, you know, domestic violence and their experience, you know, inter- intergenerational trauma. These things are particularly in looking at Indigenous women and in looking at women's entrepreneurship. We, we have to look at the whole person. And yeah, this, this, is, this is really important work. So it's, 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 it's the thing that struck me so profoundly just in our initial consideration of these issues is that point that you make, trauma seems to be the point of reference from which everything starts in these conversations. And more often than not, it's because I realise in listening to women talk and in working in the context and the collaboration collaborative way that we are, that it's also because most of the outcomes of trauma fall on the women. Do you know what I mean? The women are the ones who pick up the load of caring for those that are facing challenges in the community. The women seem to carry that load. Is that, and that seems to be a different lens, certainly to how most people think about business. You know, again, coming from my tradition, so the African-American tradition, very similar context and, and certainly a very similar experience around Black feminists and Black political economy, that, that the role, that a lot of the, you know, the problems and the, you know, mass incarceration of Black men, all these things then have, impact on the lives of black women. And so I see, I could definitely, I'm coming into it. It's not, it's not, this isn't new to me, but I recognize that it is new for other people who are part of this collaboration. I think for me, keen to sort of move beyond because what some, there are two ways we can respond to this, right? And two ways that people often respond. It's okay, you have, you have this experience of trauma. Therefore, let me tag you as vulnerable, wrap you up in cotton wool, and now say that you were incapable of making decisions and, and leave you you where you are. And I think that this is actually 
this is actually the the opportunity that we have and the fact that we're that we're being led by Kimberly women leaders. They see this every day. They live this. They are experts in their own lives. They will help us to understand how they are moving through and with these challenges. We're not going to go in with this intervention and necessarily address domestic violence or address the trauma or address poverty, but we need to, but, but understanding how these particular women who are selected, you know, who choose to be part of this initiative, how they move through it. I think that, I think that's a really valuable, these are really valuable stories and really important lessons for those of us who want to then go on and do this work in other communities. I think the other thing that's really interesting about that too, is this notion of that and this sort of clear sense of the importance of this sort of circular economy that Indigenous women it's a strength-based approach where business and profit and these things lead to opportunities for Indigenous women to have agency in terms of how they deal with the challenges that they face in their communities and in their way of working, which is very different and I think really profoundly different to this sort of deficit approach, which is about disadvantage and handouts and the sorts of things you're talking about. So that framing in itself, Cindy, seems to be a shift in the way that often these, you know, so often these things are either talked about in terms of the disadvantage and the wraparound services, as you've said, or they talked about in terms of a business model for d- developing businesses. There's something unique about women, women's business, women in business that seems to, we seem to be focusing on as the collaboration works with the Kimberley Jigers, who are so such strong and so articulate about the nexus between those things. Yeah, and look, I think this is the, and I've often mentioned in our meetings, I think they are the secret sauce. So you know, because. Previously, the way these interventions are worked, you, you don't necessarily have that strong leadership on the ground and, and the time and the capacity and the experience and the depth of relationships that we have with the Kimberly Birds Network. So I think, you know, this, this is going to be really powerful for us in terms of in terms of being you know, active listeners and also sort of being being guided to really understand the what what is at the heart of the resilience of Aboriginal women in these communities, Aboriginal leaders in these communities, and how can business become another tool to be able to support them in their in their efforts to create wealth, however they define that to be. I can't imagine us going through this work over the next few years and not talking about men or with men. <laughs> so I think there's going to be some level of, okay, well, what is this now? What does this mean? And what is this, how, how do how, how do we, basically how, how do we also support the change in the relationship between men and women that might happen as a result of this empowerment process. What does that need to look like? So I might be going a little bit ahead, but I think there's, if you're trying to focus on the whole person and you're not coming in with your own sort of puffy jacket pattern, you don't, you, you we really are going to be led by the women and we might end up in very interesting places. So that's a really good opportunity now to perhaps reflect on the collaboration. You know, the truth is, Cindy, collaborations offer enormous opportunity and possibility because of this merging of different views and the opportunity to build relationships that allow you to deeply understand what everybody brings, but they're also challenging. I'd I'd love to get a sense of how you're finding working in this collaborative way, insights that you've had to date, uh, you know, the sort some anything, some comments that you've got about the sense of which this is 
you know, is it too hairy? Is it no, too I, I love it. I, I think it's particularly last year where we did, it was lots of Zoom calls. Just what just the dynamic of even how we prepared for meetings, the conversations that happened before the conversations, the conversations that happened after, like everybody's trying to find their place and you're coming in with these ideas. So the idea is, well, Menzies is big big philanthropist, right? So they have all the money and all the power. And then you have Good Return, who are the social impact intermediary, and they have all the knowledge. So they know all the program stuff. And then you have Kimberly Jigas, who they are the beneficiaries of this beneficence, right? They're, they're the beneficiaries and, you, and people coming into this with these sort of power, but that's not how it's working at all. You've got Benji saying, well, actually, tell me what you want. And they're going, what? And then you have Good Return saying, well, actually, we have experience, but we're not the experts. And then you have this light being, sh- being shown on, you know, Natasha Short, who's this, you know, incredible leader. But I think her development as a leader and the and the the gravity of the fact of what she's being asked to do, I think there's a there's a development that's happening there uh, in her own leadership journey. I, I think that's a that's a whole other PhD that I probably could do just on <laughs> Natasha's journey and you know and then how she works with other women because it's not just Natasha. So look, I, I find it all really interesting and I think it is I think it's beautiful. I think it's a beautiful example of of collaboration. We manage the tensions. Everybody is is frank and and becoming more fearless. Certainly, I think there was probably greater fear earlier, and I can feel that starting to starting to melt away. And we're all we're all just people who are trying to. And I think the, the challenge and the opportunity in this is well, how do we how do we sort of keep this going um, as this progresses and as the the project starts to emerge and as the the tensions and the differences between what we all need to get out of this start to start to emerge as well. But I think it just couldn't happen to a better group of people. I think at this stage, I think it's a really good. I think every I'm going to remind you of this, Cindy, when things get hairy. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. And look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's the case. And look, we, we've all, we have had, you know, moments of, of tension. And I think a lot of it is around that sort of, it's, it's always going to be the power dynamics and money. So those are, the, you know, being really frank and, and honest and power and history of how these sorts of interventions are done. And then the pressure that's on Natasha as the meat in the sandwich, because she only has to manage this process, but then she has to manage a community a process in her community and how she maintains her, um, you know, her credibility, her reputation, her relevance, her, you know, in her own community. And that's, that's a lot to ask of one person. And she has, you know, she's, she's, she's pretty doggone awesome. And we're all here to, to, to support her and to provide the support that she needs to the extent that we can. I'm also really interested in, you know, I think, as I said, I just think you add a huge dimension to our work. How are you finding the translation between what the university expects of you as a PhD student and this sort of expectation of the collaboration that you'll work around translation and implementation. How are you managing that tension? Yeah, look, it already has been hairy. So I've already gone through the ethics process once and I think they just wanted me to tell them what we're doing. And I keep saying, my God, the makers is this container for change and things will be happening in here, but I can't tell them exactly what it is yet. And, you know, for, for some academics, that's really, really hard. Fortunately, I have the best supervisory panel in the world, so they get it. But when I have to go beyond, it can be a little bit difficult. I think for me, the focus of my research questions now, which I mentioned before, are on this process. So 
that that actually helps me a bit as a student. So I'm not sort of tied into, okay, well, how many businesses are successful as a result of this process or what happens in the end? This could, this could go on for, for years. And I'm really focused on this early stage of this, of this process. And I've managed to frame the research questions around that. So at the moment, short of me just trying to, the translation of trying to, trying to explain this to other academics that are outside of my supervisory panel, that's probably the biggest challenge um, at the moment. The other thing too is universities, because of the way that they have traditionally caused har harm in indigenous communities and the way that they've done research that, that have been extractive, but not, not informed consent, whole history of basically bad behavior. There's a lot of good structures now um, around, um, around managing students like me who are doing work in Indigenous communities. And I am incredibly, uh, I'm in a really good position because I have such great support and such a great relationship with Kimberly Gigas that I can, I can give them the assurances that they need that this is being conducted in a way that's not basically the way it's been done in the past, that it's actually that we're asking research questions that the Indigenous community themselves want to answer, that we're not, you know, an impost, that we're managing the risks of this research because anything Thing that that deals with that's going to tap into people's experiences and, and self-conceptualizations and trauma that has the potential to cause harm to to an individual and we have and, and I, but I think we have good structures around how we're going to manage and provide support for the women when those things happen and those are probably the the major things that keeps me you know in good stead on on that side one of the really important parts we've talked about as a collaboration team is the story the narrative of the journey how we capture the stories how we make sure that they're truly representative of the women who we're working for and with if that makes sense how do you think you'll make a contribution to the narrative through this sort of research journey as you connect into the collaboration yeah. when i did my introduction to the maganda makers and the kimberly birds i don't know if you remember i talked about Ken cloth. Kente cloth um, originally from Ghana. And basically the, the story of Kente is about being able to, to weave together a whole number of stories. And I really see my myself as almost the Anansi, which is the spider that basically gifted the pattern of Kente to these weavers. I see myself as, as sort of part of that that role. So what I'm doing is I'm helping to sort of interpret and bringing together a whole range of stories together and creating a new narrative that will belong to all of us and all the collaborators that we're very, that we're happy to share. So for me, I think it is about, it is about, you know, protect, uh, gathering these stories, but also doing it in a way that's respectful of the, the, you know, the cultural knowledge and the women's experience, but then coming up with a, with basically a new story that we're then able to share with other communities and with other women who might be facing similar challenges to those in the Kimberley. One of the things that the Menzies Foundation's interested is in really understanding leadership. And I loved, Cindy, the way that you've introduced yourself because you haven't mentioned things like the fact that you were ACT, what were you, ACT Woman of the Year or something, or Social Woman of the Year. Or, you, you yourself, Cindy, are an outstanding leader with an amazing track record of you know, in any measure, success as a leader. Can you just, just before we finish, I'd just like to have five minutes to just ask you about your leadership journey, about how you frame leadership and how, where, what you think, well, let's just start with that. Tell us a little bit about your leadership journey. For me, it was never an option. So I guess, so, you know, growing up in central Alabama, so my family's from Montgomery, Alabama, um, very much deep, deeply involved in the civil rights movement. Women who are, you know, 
educated are expected to work in the community. And so, you know, I grew up seeing that with, you know, grandmother and aunts and mother and, and this expectation that I would serve my community. I would serve in my church. I would serve in my town. I would do, and the job was sort of, well, that was really just to support all those other things that you were doing. And I just, through my career and life, I was just, I've been really fortunate to find work that allows me to, I guess, I guess, continue what I call my, my ministry in some ways, which is around service. So I work in social enterprise, which is around working with entrepreneurs who want to use business to make meaningful social, cultural, economic, or environmental change. And for me, it's the perfect sort of expression of how, of what leadership is to me. So, because it's really about, well, it's really about being of service. And, you know, I'm really strong on that, on that sort of servant leadership, as you can probably gather from that. And what was the other part of the question, Liz? Sorry. And, so, and so when you think of it, so what have what have been the most influential things in developing you as a leader? So you, obviously your family, the women yeah. in your life, but what are some of the other things that have sort of facilitated your leadership journey? The major things, and I, I, I've thought about this in the past. I mean, I think it's been the women who've given me a chance. And a lot of them, it, most of them have been women who have, you know, either mentored me, managed me, supported me, and sort of let me do that next thing. So it's one thing about being in a in a role, but I've always been encouraged to encouraged and supported to do the next thing um, in my journey. And I think having those sort of mentors and having those sort of basically pseudo pseudo mothers, um, part of my journey, journey is my mother passed away when I was 13. And I think throughout my life, I've just kind of always attracted all these other women who've kind of come into my life and, and provided the support at the right time and mentorship and, and mothering. And really that's, that's kind of been, if I look at my career and look at, you know, my life and educational attainment, it's been sort of one meeting after another of the right woman at the right time. And so, so much of what I've tried to do for the last 20 years is to be the right woman at the right time. And so I think that's part of, you know, the ACT woman of the year thing. Um, I, do, I do a lot of mentoring. I, I love speaking with youth groups. Um, I have lots of young women that I that I mentor. I do lots of things in the community where I just bring people and tag, say, come along with me to this. You know, I'm going to give a speech here. I'm going to go do this thing here. And just for people to see the the struggles that I have. You know, I'm, I'm trying to do a job. I do a whole range of community work and I also have a family and people to be able to see that, you know, there is no perfect balance in those. Just giving, giving that sort of going beyond the kind of veneer of, you know, Instagram or what lead, what we think women's leadership should, should look like. Women have been generous enough to me to give me that exposure. And I try to do that in the team that I manage, which is all women, um, but also in, in the other work that I do. So Cindy, I am so delight, delighted that one, that you are the leader that you are, that you are driven by the purpose that you have, because I can already see the extraordinary contribution that you're making to the collaboration. And I very much hope we can continue this conversation, Cindy, that we can check back in and glean some more insights from the really unique and I think very important perspective you bring to the work. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you.